Welcome to the next episode of the Hondo Handers Podcast, brought to you by Ed Hyman Drywall and Custom Paving, including residential and commercial power washing, located at 36722 Roxana Road in Somerville, Delaware. Call 302-436-6277 or find them on the web at edhymandrywall.com. My guest today is Kami Lard. How you doing, Kami? I'm doing well, Honda. How are you? I'm fantastic. Glad to have you on here. Thank you, sir. Coach, let me give my listeners a little bit of uh, background on you before we get started. Kwame uh, Lord is the head women's soccer coach at Salisbury University. He starts his eighth season after being, being nationally ranked number seven in the United Coaches Association poll and number eight in the NCAA poll in 2019. He was tabbed CAC Coach of the Year after turning around a team that went 7 10 and 1 and 3 and 4 in CAC play in 2018 to a 13 3 and 3 overall record and a 9 0 and 1 in, to win the CAC regular season crown. Freshman Casey Lamb collected the Rookie of the Year crown, and the team had a league high eight Seagulls land on all CAC first team. Over the last seven years, Coach has had a 67, 47, and 17 overall record and a 42, and 16, and 4 CAC record. He came to Salisbury after two years at Whittingburg University where he was, he led his team to a 19, 14, and 4 record including the North Coast Atlantic Conference regular season title and he was named NCAC Coach of the Year. He played one year at Lincoln University before transferring to Susquehanna University, where he participated in soccer and track and field. In 1990, he was named the most valuable player in men's soccer and earned his degree in 1993 in political science. After one year playing professional soccer, he returned to Susquehanna to be, Susquehanna to be the head coach of the women's soccer team and assistant coach of the women's lacrosse team from 1994 to 1997. He spent four years as the director of men's and women's soccer team and lacrosse team at Whittier College before returning east to Christopher Newport University. He coached the captain's women's soccer and lacrosse team from 2001 to 2008. During that time, the women's soccer team claimed three USA South Conference titles and appeared in NCAA tournaments three times, including a quarterfinal trip in 2004. He was named USA South Conference Coach of the Year four times. Uh, <clears throat> uh, he spent three years at head, as head coach at Division One University of Vermont before returning to Whittingburg in 2001. Coach Lord, you have an impressive value. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Wow, that is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your upbringing, maybe where you grew up and if you played any sports before high school. Uh, sure. You know, I, I grew up part of my life in New York, in Long Island, New York. Um, okay. played for a club called Cow Harbor out of East Northport, Long Island. Um, and then in 1980, I moved down to Maryland um, where I played. I did everything. You know, I played soccer, uh, played basketball a little bit. Um, but the passion came with soccer. I've been really blessed to be exposed to the game, even in those days at a very high level. Uh, I grew up watching the Cosmos play um, in New York and in an era and time where 
the Cosmos were attracting some of the best players in the world, including Pelé, Georgia Canalia, Franz Beckenbauer, Hubert Birkenmeier, Carlos Alberto, um, wow. to say a, to say a few of world-class players. So I kind of grew up watching them play in a great time in soccer in the late 70s, early 80s. And then when I moved to Maryland, <clears throat> was able to uh, work with some great coaches um, through my youth uh, with um, with Coach Rodas and my high school coach, as well as um, toward the end of my high school career, I was able to play with um, four gentlemen named Graham Ramsey uh, out, of, out of Bethesda Soccer Club. So um, track and field was something I did as to keep in shape, you know, um, I went to an Our Lady of Good Counsel High School, where at the time it was all boys and we. So the only opportunity for us to see girls was when the, our sister school came over to run track. So I thought it was a great way to uh, meet girls. And uh, <laughs> God gave me the gift of speed and athleticism. And so that led to other opportunities in college. So you decided to attend college after high school. Uh... And I guess you went to Lincoln University. Was that your first choice, or were other colleges interested in your talents, or were you thinking about other colleges? Yeah, you know, I was—I didn't even know anything about Division Three, to be honest with you. Um, I was able to play again for a very high-level club, and um, for me, it was more the schools I was considering was uh, University of Delaware, uh, Towson, Howard University, and George Mason, um, and. Um, at the time, if you remember, in the, in the late late 80s, early 90s, um, fortunately, D.C. was the murder capital of the world. They had more murders than they were days in the year. So I kind of ruled out Howard initially. And then the other two <clears throat> just weren't a good fit at the time. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed the coaches. Um, one of the coaches was actually my uh, ODP coach, Olympic development coach. So that's my connection to Towson. Right. Um, this wasn't a good fit. And then... I had a family member attending Lincoln um, and they told me about them at the last minute. And I, so I actually committed to Susquehanna university. Um, we went for a visit with my mom and she fell in love and she's like the place and sent her son out into the corn cornfields uh, was probably, she felt a very safe environment for me. Mm -hmm. um, historic track program um, with coach Taylor. And then, our soccer program was up and coming at the time. So um, Lincoln was a last minute thing. And my mom just wanted me to have an ex the experience of being around my own kind. And because um, most of my experience up to that point was dominantly uh, a white experience as far as my high school and club. So uh, I enjoyed Lincoln. Lincoln was uh, a great, is a great university. Uh, I learned a lot about being amongst um, my own African-American people. Um, and the, the professors there were incredible, um, definitely held a high standard for us. And I really appreciate that journey, but from a soccer standpoint, they weren't very serious at all. And so that being my love and passion, I, uh, contacted Susquehanna and they asked me if I would stay a full year at Lincoln and then be a, uh, a, um, Readmit, so I didn't really try. I didn't have to. I didn't have to really apply again because I'd already got in as a freshman. So they just wanted my transcripts from Lincoln, um, and I. I was able to spend four years there at Susquehanna. Okay. And I had a year of eligibility left in, in track and field. I didn't run track at, at Lincoln, 
Um, okay. So I was able to do a total of five years of undergrad work, but uh, I, got, I was able to run four years for Coach Taylor, who was, again, one of the most historic track coaches um, to, to have worked in Division III. Um, and then my, my soccer experience was okay. Um, some great teammates that made it a lot of fun. And then I always had the drive to want to play at the next level. Did you, uh, when you were at Lincoln, did you play Salisbury University then? You know, I don't know. I, that, that'd be a great question. I think uh, Jerry and I at one point were talking about that. Um, so he had, he had Jerry DiBortello, who was a coach at that time here at Salisbury. Uh, we were curious about that because uh, he remembers playing them often. Uh, my team at Lincoln, I do remember like playing like Cabrini College. I remember playing them, but um, our team was extremely talented. Um, we had a lot of players from the Caribbean on our team, and but not very dedicated um, or committed to, you know, training every day and practice and that kind of thing. But the talent level was unbelievable. These guys were incredible athletes, incredible soccer players, just not very fit. Um, so we get worn down fairly quickly. Right. And that was Lincoln University, right? Yes, sir. And I was asking you that because, you know, I, I played for soccer at Salisbury. Oh, okay. And I remember playing uh, Lincoln University. Okay. I didn't know if you guys were on the same schedule, but it was way back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I, I mean, way back in the day. <laughs> Yeah. I played. I played at Lincoln um, the fall of 1988. Yeah. So I'm not sure how far you back you go, but well, that, that was a season. I, I won't say much more than than the soccer field was on the same side as um, uh, one too far from Devil's Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, as you drove down uh, 13, you could see yeah. the soccer team. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so it was way back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you transferred to Susquehanna, uh, uh, how was the uh, you know adjustment for you? You know, it was a bit different. Obviously, you know, you're going from one one environment to one one extreme to another, you know, and so right. um, you know the thing that I was the university I would say with Susquehanna was was very conscientious of that, and at the time. Uh, there was a definite effort to recruit more students of color to the school. So mm. when I got there in our class, there was 16 of us and we were all, all but maybe one or two were athletes, um, two or three international students, but we were all very close. So you had that camaraderie with them uh, throughout dealing with anything from the crickets when we were sleeping to um, back then we'd all record music from home from the radio station and then bring that up with us. <laughs> we didn't have any radio stations. We would, uh, we would cut, they would cut each other's hair, you know, so I bet that I <laughs> did have hair. So we would sit and, hair, um, cause there wasn't any barbershops in Sealands Grove that could really cut our hair. Um, and then if you went home, you usually brought back products cause more than likely the drugstore didn't have the products you were looking for. So I think, you know, some people might have felt like it was isolating, but for us, it was, I'm still very close to that group. Um, unfortunately, uh, not everyone graduated. Some, you know, people uh, didn't finish. Uh, but to give you an idea, though, at that time, there were 16 of us that came in as first years 
uh, at Susquehanna. And four years later, four of us graduated. So, wow. yeah. uh, well, we were able to start things. We, we got the Black Student Union back up and running. It, it died down after a while and we got it back running. And, um, and then we we're able to work with admissions because part of the issue that they were having with retention of African-American students or even or recruiting African-American students is that they would have bus loads of kids that would come up from Philadelphia and uh, New York and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, but they wouldn't let us know they were there. So if you can imagine our numbers are small as it is, and we're scattered out in our classes, unless you organize something, you would think there's maybe one or two of us here. Right. So through the Black Student Union at the time, we did work with admissions to coordinate when um, they were doing, you know, creating their uh, recruiting efforts to recruit students of color. That when they came up, they would have programming set that they would meet with us and see that we are there and we have numbers and that kind of thing, which also helped obviously with, on the athletic standpoint, um, getting more students of color on on the basketball team, on the football team, on the track and field, soccer, whichever it was. Uh, we coordinated well. So I felt that we left it four years later better than it was um, from a cultural standpoint. I certainly understand uh, what you said there, Kwame, as uh, I was the uh, I was a member of I was an officer for the first black student union at Salisbury University. Oh, wow. As well as uh, the uh, mayor of Cambridge, Maryland, Vicki Stanley. Mm -hmm. okay. So I, I certainly understand what you're saying there. Uh, but you did have a successful uh, soccer uh, a career at Susquehanna. Um, I did. I see that you were named um, MVP. Yeah, you know, the one thing I could do is score goals. So, um, you know, I was I was a forward as a striker and I was fast and I played some of my best games against the best competition we had with Messiah and Elizabethtown College. Right. Um, and so uh, I, I ran, it was interesting, my soccer experience um, for me was not as enjoyable because I, uh, as, and though I enjoyed the game, I enjoyed my teammates. Right. I felt like track and field was um, in college is where I felt like, you know, what the effort I put in is the, what I got out of it. Right. And so, um, there, I felt that uh, soccer, we as a whole, we weren't all committed to a standard of excellence of or winning. We're uh, in track and field um, because we had an amazing coach but a, an amazing reputation. You you didn't want to let let him down, and I think uh, soccer was on the on the verge of creating that culture of expectation, and I was just in that learning curve. So. Um, though I had some great teammates and I, a coach I really respected, I think there was a process they had to go through that I was in that transitional period where in track and field, the tradition of in the history of our track program um, superseded me getting there. So I was just living up to what their reputation was, at least trying to. Um, but yes, I did enjoy my soccer experience. I did have success individually. Um, and then, you know, I, I Susquehanna was an incredible experience for me. Um, I felt that it was so open to diversity and cultural experience. Like we celebrated Kwanzaa every year I was there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And we're talking about like families coming up and bringing, you know, red beans and rice and collard greens and, um, 
and wow. then getting the people in the cafeteria to learn to make that stuff for Kwanzaa for us. And we just, they, um, they really supported our, our efforts and um, the, uh, sharing our diversity within the university. And then obviously it wasn't just for the black students or the African-American students. Right. Uh, the student body was able to participate in it as well. So, um, you know, it was, it was a good experience for me. Um, when you were uh, on the track and field team, uh, what what did you uh, you know participate in? So I was the um, anchor for the four by one for four years. I did the open hundred, and I did long jump. Um, and I had, I was in the top, I think three or four in long jump until about a year or two ago. Wow, <clears throat> excellent. So what was your major there? Uh, the idea was uh, po political science. You know, I went in with um, the idea that uh, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. Um, uh, there was a show, L.A. Law, at the time with Blair Underwood. <laughs> and I wanted to be the next Blair Underwood um, corporate lawyer oh, until, I took, until I took that con law class. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and realized all the all the reading that was going to go get to be involved in being a lawyer. So, uh, yeah. I, enjoyed, I I enjoyed political thought and theory and philosophy, um, and I had incredible professors who kind of steered me. And at the time that um, when I was leaving there, while I was graduating, I thought I was going to be, go into OCS, um, a Marine Corps officer, and uh -huh. to lead into uh, law enforcement. I thought I was I wanted to get into uh, federal law enforcement, whether through secret. Secret Service or through FBI, um, and I was encouraged to go the route of the Marine Corps Officer Program because um, they recruit from there. So um, okay. that was my initial thought. Uh, with everything changed um, in about a six-month span between my junior and senior year, so um, that was what my end goal was with political science. So, um, uh, how were you? Um... I guess you made a detour because you ended up playing professional soccer. I did. Um, there was a opportunity for me to serve God and play soccer. So there's a group called MAI missionary athletes international in which one of my rivals in track and field, believe it or not from Messiah, we had run every event and jumped every event against each other introduced uh -huh. me to this group. Um, where we would use soccer as a platform for ministry. So we went over, um, as soon as I graduated, I, I drove down to North Carolina and trained for about a week and a half, two weeks um, with this group. And then we went over to Russia and we spent two and a half weeks in Russia um, playing matches and uh, sharing the gospel. And uh, after that, I came back and did an eight-week internship um, with the organization that included my training, um, not only spiritually, but physically. And right. um, so I thought I had some left in me. So uh, I had a family friend and we created, uh, we started writing indoor teams and I ended up uh, being a, de a developmental player for the Hasbrook Heat um, in Hasbrook, Pennsylvania. Wow. That had to be neat to do, be able to do that. It was. I mean, it was. It's you know, obviously in those days, MLS was just coming. It was just starting in those days, and uh, mm -hmm. um, it was really in its infancy. So, you know, for me as a developmental player, just to be around some tremendous players um, that I actually am in contact with still, um, 
that it was a great environment to love the sport. Unfortunately, you know, we weren't getting paid very much. Right. So I had a second job, but um, which was all taken care of by the heat and, and the people that support them. So it was a great experience. Um, you know, I, I played with um, a guy named Mark Pulisic, uh, whose son is now a superstar in the soccer world um, in oh. Europe and, and our U S national team, Christian Pulisic. Um, but, you know, I had some really good friends that came out of there. Uh, Bob Lilly, Scott Henderson, um, John Abe. There were some really good guys that taught me a lot, um, encouraged me to stay. But um, Susquehanna at the time had a club had a club women's soccer program that just was going varsity the year after I graduated. So, or I graduated in '93. They went varsity, I believe, um, the fall of '90. 94. So, um, Susquehanna asked me if I would, would I be interested in coaching them? Um, because I don't know if you remember, I was on that five-year plan. So the fall fall before I graduated, I had coached the club program and, um, the club women's soccer program and kind of really enjoyed it and had some players are really talented and, um, they taught me some things, the things that I never thought I had to really learn. But right. um, I had an alma mater who shared some faith in me and said, hey, would you come back and coach the women's soccer program? And I had tremendous, more, I had tremendous uh, mentors, um, our basketball coach and Frank Marcinic and my track coach, Coach Taylor. Uh, the soccer coach that I had was had left by that time. But tremendous people who had my back and uh, AD at the time. Um, Don Harnum, who just believed in me at 24, I was a head coach for women's soccer and, uh, <laughs> must've been exciting. It was your, your alma mater at that. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I eventually was able to get into women's across coaching women's across and, uh, that, you know, enabled me to go to Whittier, uh, you mentioned earlier, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was you know, prideful to, to work with your team. Our highlight there is that we um, beat Messiah and my second year there as a second year program, we went down to their <laughs> place under the lights and beat a national ranked program five to two. Wow. So, wow. Um, with, uh, so, so um, how did you get all the way to California with uh, Whittier, Whittier College? I mean, the men's and the women's soccer teams, you, you became the director, right? Right. So while at Susquehanna, I knew, <laughs> while at Susquehanna, I, I wanted to, um, I, I was trying to figure out life. Right. So I was trying to do, I want to do student life. Like my father who was at, who was at Queens college at time at the time. Well, okay. I wanted to coach and I really fell in love with coaching. So I started, unfortunately at Susquehanna, though I was full time, I was part time in like three different departments. Okay. Um, and so I wanted to really focus on coaching. And I, so I, Literally, Hondo, I applied everywhere. If there was a job open in the country, Division One through Three, I applied for it. Um, right. And got some great rejection letters from, like, University of Kansas to uh, UVA. I mean, I got some tremendous, you know, really, it was interesting. And then Whittier called randomly on my phone, and I honestly did not remember applying. It was kind of like the thing you did every Monday. You just looked it up, and then you just applied, and, if you can remember back then, we didn't have internet, right? So it was the Chronicle. Right. Came, the Chronicle would come out, and I applied a job. And Dave Jacobs called me, 
and started asking me all these questions and said, um, hey, we'd like to bring you out for an, an interview. And I said, I know this is how ignorant the time I was. I said, um, excuse me, Coach Jacobs, where is Whittier? <laughs> he, said, he said, Los Angeles, California. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, and he said, Coach Lloyd, are you still interested? I'm like, I, I think so, yeah. And so I went out there and, um, and fell in love with the, the opportunity. And initially, my, the opportunity I had was head women's soccer, head women's lacrosse. Um, and um, I was really blessed that we had some really good lacrosse players that were from the East Coast and Colorado and that kind of – and, you know, everyone was coming West. So it was pretty easy. I always had a really good um, assistant coach. I have really had uh, – one of the assistant coaches, her husband was on the Anaheim Ducks – and she she was a player of the year from Harvard. So she was just wow. moving up there and had nothing to do. So she worked with me. And then on the soccer end, um, the way I became the director of soccer, they, they kind of liked what was going on with our women's soccer program and the direction we were moving um, as far as recruiting and training and expectations and culture. And they let the men's soccer coach go and then hired me asked me if I would take on both programs. And initially, obviously, I was like, how is this going to work, right? But um, right, right. we had really good assistant coaches, and we played a lot of back-to-backs and a lot of coordination and organization. But um, I, was, I left there. I was able to recruit eight boys from England to that program, and I left. And they all worked in my office, which was kind of fun because the accents were really cool on the phone. <laughs> and people would call and they ended up working in the office. And back then, again, you would send letters and cards and uh, you didn't have emails as much as you do now. Um, so uh, both programs have started to, to prosper. And then uh, unfortunately, Hondo, when I was out there for the four years, I also um, lost some relatives um, to just old, natural causes, but older age and grandparents. So I was kind of hungry wow. to come home. Yeah. Um, and uh, but God had a plan. I met my eventual wife out in California and um, Christopher Newport University had hired a woman that taught me women's across at Susquehanna. I was her assistant. So when the women's soccer job, it opened up there and they had gone through like a three or four year span where they just couldn't keep a coach around um, and, and nothing to do with the university, more to do with personal things, um, yeah. unfortunately. And they uh, did a phone interview, flew me out there, and um, I was there. I was there for eight years. But Whittier was a great experience. California is unbelievable. Recruiting is fairly easy when you're trying to recruit, especially at Whittier. I thought, especially internationally. Um, how, how were you actually able to recruit internationally? You know, it was. It came down to word of mouth. You know, you get one boy to come over here, and they love it. They go back home for Christmas and tell everybody, and they send us video. Okay, okay. Um, we could watch video and then we had actually back then. <laughs> yeah. They we actually had videos back then they could send via internet kind of thing. And then um right. they the kids were end up paying like, you know, it's I don't I don't remember the cost, but maybe it was like thirty six thousand dollars to go to school at Whittier at the time. And between the they got an international scholarship just for being an international students, 
Right. And then most, more than likely, most of the kids who are trying to come from England to the States are good students. Right? They didn't get an academic scholarship. So they end up paying, I mean, close to like nine or $10,000 to go to school. Okay. Um, and, you know, you're selling the sun, the beach, and that kind of thing. So, right. um, and then we, then we would recruit, you know, men's soccer, women's soccer in California. It's unbelievable. From San Diego to San Francisco, Oregon, West Coast soccer is really big. So um, you just got to be committed to doing it and getting out there. So that's uh, one of the things I think that's always been a staple for me is um, my ability to and desire to, to get out and see and not leave any stone unturned. So when you uh, you eventually at Christopher Newport, you became yeah. the, uh, the coach for uh, the women's soccer team and the lacrosse team. Correct. Um, so that's another interesting thing because I, I was hired there as a women's soccer coach um, only. And that's where I wanted my career to go. And um, the woman that taught me women's across and such with Hannah was at CNU and the summer before I got there, um, which she sold me on this great place. Right. Um, right. She decides that summer to leave. And pursue, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Pursue another career. And so they asked me if I would do it as an interim basis and I'm a team guy. So we, we do it and um, we end up winning the, the regular season championship and we got coach of the year that year. Um, and so the president, um, president Paul Tribble, who is a huge advocate for sports at, at uh, CMU and a great president for me and, um, he asked uh, our ID at the time, CJ Woolham, if um, I would take the job full time. And I said, no. And if you know <laughs> anything about President, President, former Senator Tribble, he doesn't take no for an answer. So <laughs> yeah, he asked me if uh, what I needed and what I wanted. And I told him, and uh, he was willing to make it happen. So, um, wow. and, uh, and then we were able to lead both programs. Um, and not, I, I, you know, I have to give credit to the athletes. I have to give, give credit to my assistants and especially in lacrosse and in soccer, um, who made it easier for me. Like when I'm in lacrosse season, my assistant ran the off season for, um, soccer. Um, and when I'm in soccer season, my assistants ran the off season for lacrosse. And I had incredible, like former all Americans from William Mary running my lacrosse program in the fall. So. Um, there were some incredible people out there doing some great things for our programs. We were able to get both programs to be a regular, uh, regular team in the NCAA tournament. So, um, and then in 2004, I believe we led, we were able to lead the the women's soccer program to the Elite Eight. Well, I tell you what, you did a fine job in both programs, and I let let my listeners um a little bit about your soccer while you were there. You claimed um, three U.S. South Conference titles and appeared in the NCAA tournament three times, reached the quarterfinals in 2004. This is in soccer. <clears throat> and you were named the USA Coach of, uh, of the Year four times. That's incredible. Thank you. Uh, and, then, mm-hmm. and then the lacrosse, as you mentioned, just mentioned, you captured the uh, – uh, USA South regular season championships uh, three years, 2002, 2004, 2005, 
and then the <clears throat> the tournament championship in 2006, and uh, reached the NCAAs in 2006 and seven, and you were named coach of the year three times for women's lacrosse. So that's a, that's <laughs> outstanding, uh, coach. Thank you. Thank you. again. I had incredible players and um, even better assistant coaches, but yeah. Um, um, in 2008, uh, you became the uh, <clears throat> head women's lacrosse coach at Division One Vermont for three years. How, how was that? Yeah, that's a big, big leap there. Yeah, you know, it was a time in which I think I was really eager in my career to go to the next level. I was seeing some of my colleagues take that jump from. Division three to Division one, um, a lot of them making the jump to, as assistant coaches, right. and uh, literally I, again through networking, someone who had worked with me at Whittier, a good friend of mine, had worked with me at Whittier, was the director of sports medicine at at Vermont, um, and she told them about me, and my phone rang, and they asked me wow. if I would would I be interested in applying, and initially I talked to my wife and was like. There's no way we're going to Vermont. There's <laughs> my wife is a Southern California girl, and, right, right. and at the time I was like, "There's no black folks in Vermont," you know. Especially <laughs> no biracial families in Vermont. But uh, mm. um, at the time we went up there, um, Burlington, Vermont was unbelievable. There's uh, we live in Essex Junction, Vermont, which is right outside. And at the time there was a stat that was. Uh, there were more biracial families in Burlington, Vermont, uh, per capita than any place else in the country. Wow. Um, yeah, particularly because um, they were a refugee, a refugee state for Somalia, oh. which you would never know um, from media or anything like that. But um, Burlington, Vermont was an incredible experience. Uh, the people I met, um, unfortunately, you know, it, it's – Division one, it's about branding. It's about um, winning right away. And, um, and you know, I, I felt like I had done the directive that I was told initially. And um, and they wanted to, I think we had, my, had a really good assistant coach who was an incredible player at UConn and a Vermonter. And I think they felt that she would probably better represent Vermont in the branding than I, than I did as an outsider. So, right, right. Um, gotcha. But I had, I mean, the people I met, the church home I had um, was incredible. And I think, you know, for, for me, Hondo, <clears throat> everywhere I've gone, I've been extremely blessed to have a church home that supported me and made things even better than it could have been. And I would say the same for Vermont, uh, Wittenberg in Ohio. Um, you know, this, you know you, sometimes you don't know your journey. And I know we all want to know where our journey is going to lead. Um, but, uh, I have a wife that just told me to keep, keep faithful and, uh, things will open up. And, um, so we, from Vermont, I'm not sure if you saw, I went to, I don't think it's even in, in my bio, but I went to Gardner Webb for about six, yeah, six months. Was a sister coach, right? Yeah. And I loved that role. To be honest, Honda was, it, it was a role I needed at the time because it allowed me to get back to what I love to do. And I think you do it a lot at D3 is get in your knees and coach, you know what I mean? And get down dirty and, and work with the kids. And right. um, I needed that uh, environment for me. Uh, and I was really, um, Vermont had taken care of my contract I had with them. And so I, I wasn't worried about money. And, right. um, and uh, 
going to web had done a tremendous job of creating a, a salary for me that allows allow me to move my family there with me and um, and my wife has a job that allows her some flexibility as far as location and uh, but it was something I needed Hondo it was a place where obviously God's first um, in, in their philosophy and the students were hungry the players were hungry for an assistant coach that again was willing to get dirty and teach and um, and do the things the fundamental things that help them and I actually am still friends through with a, quite a quite a few of them through Facebook but um, unfortunately I didn't get a season you know I did a recruiting and got kids to, to help the coach get kids there and and Wittenberg opened up in um, like late May or I'm sorry June um, and similar through networking I get a phone call asking if I would be interested and would I apply um, and my assistant coach at, or the head coach at Garden Web was Initially, not very supportive, but then also realized that I had to take care of my family and be put myself in position right. to be, um, contribute to my family. And this was a great opportunity at Whitburg. Uh, and Ohio men, Ohio, pe Ohio people are tremendous and they are loyal. That Wittenberg fan base, the Wittenberg uh, University was unbelievable. Uh, they had this saying called Tiger Up. Everywhere you go, if you had Wittenberg gear on, some stranger would say "Tiger up" to you. And initially, I had no tiger clue. <laughs> yeah, tiger up. I had no clue what that meant. I remember going on my first <laughs> recruiting trip, and I walked into a convenience store, and uh, someone said "Tiger up," and I was supposed to respond with "Tiger up," and I didn't respond. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant, but uh, you know. That was an incredible. Um, <laughs> those players there were so eager for um, to to be successful. The previous coach was a tremendous coach and did a great job and laid the groundwork. He had an opportunity to go back east, and so I just stepped into a great program and brought some great players in. In our second year, we were able to make history with being the first team to go undefeated in the in the conference. And you're talking yes. about Dennison and. Um, so Ohio Wesleyan, some really good schools, Kenyon, and some great historic in our in our field, some of the best coaches in the country. Um, and uh, if, I don't know if you remember, but at that time, Salisbury University was splitting volleyball and softball and women's soccer and men's lacrosse. And I competed against um, Jim Nestor for the eight years I was at Salisbury or at CMU. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I would – I would beat him in soccer every fall and he'd kick my butt in lacrosse every spring. <laughs> so we thought we were good until we played that. Um, and then, so we, we, we garnered a, uh, a relationship. And so when this opened up, I don't know if you realize, but CNU and Salisbury were open at the same time. Um, the yeah. woman that took, that took over when I left uh, was let go and, uh, I think a lot of my colleagues and friends thought I was going to return to Christopher Newport. Um, but Salisbury or Maryland was my home state. And uh, I saw the vision um, of uh, Dr. Vienna. He was here and um, I was really hoping that this would work out. And uh, God led the way and uh, opened up the opportunity. So, um, And that was in 2012, right? That was the... I think, yeah, 2012 going to 13 in that spring. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it was, it was a, rock, a little bit of a rocky start. Um, but, you know, I, I had, like, I, I saw quite a bit of my players this past weekend at a wedding. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, this, the, the second best record I was, that I was here, the first time I got coach of the year here, um, I think it was three or four years ago. Um, we had a similar record, and those kids, a lot of those kids were in that wedding that I, I was at. And so the standards here are high, you know, and, you know, when you have a men's across program and a women's across baseball, softball, and feel like you, that, you know, do so well that you're, you know, you want the same. And, uh, and I think now we have the facilities and the resources academically and athletically to attract some of the best players in our region. So hopefully that last year was not – um, an anomaly, you know. I think the kids earned it. They, uh, Hondo in the off season last year, they won the Iron Sammy for being the most dedicated team um, in, in the weight room in the off season. And, <laughs> and they also won the Fun Run, which is a thing they do with the sports performance coaches. I never get to see it, um, but it's a series of obstacles throughout the campus. Um, last year they won that. And I think that kind of gave them the confidence that led into our season. We worked really hard all spring on a, a different formation that allowed us to be more attacking minded. And I think out um, outside of the two hiccups in the beginning of the game, beginning of the season, which I think led to us not getting into NCAA's with our record, um, was the reason for our success uh, and the and the kids that were behind it. You know. Um, huh. but, uh, Draft that was incredible with uh, Tom Scoglin and uh, Sydney Larkin, and then I had players in the senior class that were just cultural builders and um, a group of players that really just bought into everything we were doing in the weight room, in the classroom, in our community, um, and on the pitch. So um, I was very proud of them. Yes, you had a fantastic season last year. Yeah, you know, um, one of the, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, one of my assistants, um, she was volunteering at the time, was uh, a young a woman named Davia Williams. Um, you might know the name because it's Mo Williams' wife. Um, oh, yes. And, yeah, so she was my assistant through preseason. And then, um, I, I remember, she was pregnant at the time. And then uh, mm-hmm. when, when Maddie was born, we went, we went 13 straight. So I <laughs> give some credit to Maddie and Maddie Williams and Davia. But when she was born, we went 13 straight of uh, not not losing a game. So, Man, that's a fantastic story there. Um, Coach, you definitely have a fantastic and a great facility now. Yeah, it's, you know, it's unbelievable. The last four or five years um, – the state and Salisbury has put a, a tremendous job on East Campus, which started with our tennis court and our, our softball field. And then the the thought of the, the uh, Salisbury Stadium that hosts our football across um, women's clubs and field hockey teams. Uh, and then our soccer complex. And it was interesting because Jerry and I were, were part of that process with Dr. Vienna and the ideas of what they wanted to do. And I think they've done a tremendous job. I mean, we have our own – we have our own um, athletic turf, turf management crew. We just make that place immaculate. But uh, we got 
ex a new exterior fencing, new interior fencing, uh, a new blade of Bermuda grass that stays greener longer. As you know, with Bermuda grass, you need the heat. Yes. So this blade of grass will stay greener longer. New scoreboards, um, new goals, new grandstand press box and sound system, um, and then a new practice facility next door, right next to it. So, um, you know, we are spoiled. You know, I, I think, I think between us, baseball and softball, I think we're the and maybe tennis, we're the only uh, sports that don't share a facility. So. Um, and then I think the university has done a tremendous job of creating a, an intramural club space with lights. Right. Yeah, so oh, that, that's you know, a beautiful complex too. Yeah. And so no one, wow. we don't share men. The men's team had their field. The women's team have their field. All right. I'll tell you what, great, great recruiting tool. Oh yes. Oh yeah. It's hard to turn us down once you visit. Yeah. I would, I believe that. Uh, Coach, uh, I'm sure you don't know, but um, last year Governor Hogan signed uh, a citation making uh, March uh, 2020 Good Sportsmanship Month in the state of Maryland, which was, you know, kind of been perfect um, for like March Madness and other high school sports in, in March. Um, but uh, uh, coronavirus kind of got us there with all those sports. Um, what, is, what is your philosophy on good sportsmanship with your team? Well, one of the things we talk about is we're humble and gracious and um, we're humble and gracious in victory. We're humble and gracious in defeat. Um, you know, we talk about with our program, victory, victories with values. Um, so we, when we're recruiting, it's, and I, for us, it starts when the recruiting component um, and recruiting the right type of student athletes who understand that their footprint on this campus is going to be more than just um, on the scoreboard or record books or academically is going to be on what we do in our community as well. So I have a good group um, who understands that. And then on the field, it's, you know, I think it starts with the, with the coaching staff. Um, you don't see or hear us getting red cards or yellow cards. We don't scream and yell at our players. Um, you know, if, uh, if anyone's going to get kicked out, more than likely it'll be my assistants before it'd be me. But um, there's certain things that we just don't tolerate. We don't, in, in training, we don't tolerate swearing. Um, we talk about our sisterhood. We talk about um, how we treat each other, how we treat our we respect our opponents. Um, and, you know, it's it's easier for us, you know, and again, this, the officials that I've worked with at Christopher Newport are the same officials I get here at Salisbury. So okay. they know me fairly well. Um, it might be a slight advantage, um, but only to the sense of, they know the demeanor of our kids and um, and the type of students we have. We just don't, you don't see us. You know, I think I've gotten maybe in the six, seven years I've been here, we've had maybe one or two players in, those, in that time get thrown out of a game. Um, oh, that's, that's a so, Yeah. So, I mean, we, it's just a standard. We, I think, you know, you look at the demeanor of your coach. And don't think we're, you know, we're competitive. We get after it. Uh, we don't agree. We don't agree with every call, but we also know that, um, you know, referees are human, you know, they're coming to us with whatever baggage of their day. And our, and our thought is we, we got to respect the game. But the one thing you'll always hear from us is, you know, we'll be humble and gracious. Um, you don't see us uh, running the score up on teams. We will, 
do different things to, to combat that. Um, and we also look, we know that we're ambassadors for the sport and we're ambassadors for our universities. So right. we try, we try to put that uh, on our chest and our, on our backs that we understand who and what we represent. Coach, um, how, how are you communicating with your team, uh, you know, earlier, especially during the coronavirus situation? Uh, we, we used an app called GroupMe. And so we, uh, we, we used that quite a bit. Zoom was very popular. Um, the kids were doing Zoom workouts um, with our strength coaches. And then um, I would have individual meetings. We called them snack and chat. And so you'd have to bring a snack. And if you didn't show up with a snack, I got upset. So we, uh, we'd have snack and chat. And I would have a snack and chat with a particular group or individuals. So like one week, we always contact all my freshmen. The next week, I contact all my sophomores, and, and so on. Right. And we just, you know, we talk about everything but soccer. You know, we just talk about life and, you know, how are they combating the COVID? How their parents are doing? Um, Were they staying doing to be active mentally and physically? Um, I thought Salisbury Sports Performance did a tremendous job with, uh, especially our coach, did it, Maddie, did a great job of creating an environment in which the both the men and women's soccer programs could jump on a Zoom call and work out three times a week. Um, and then what we also did as a staff, we created these uh, challenges for them each week. So they had four challenges a week. Uh, the challenges were technical skill challenges with um, and workouts. And they were and from juggling to dribbling, um, passing patterns, and some stuff they can do individually. Um, I think the kids enjoyed it because it got them touches the ball, something to look forward to. And um, there were fun challenges like, you know, dribbling out, juggling with a ball out 10 yards, turn around, juggle it back without it dropping and putting it in, into a bucket. Um, oh. So it was interesting to see how creative they were with this stuff. So um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And we just tried to be as creative as possible, stay in contact. Um, you know, I would, Obviously, with the social injustice going on in our country at the time, I would use that platform as well to um, just start conversations with them and, and address it rather than um, sweep it under the rug. And I think our team appreciated the uh, vulnerability that I think I showed with them about how I was feeling and then things we can do as a team and as people to open conversation. And um, there was a great video. I think I'm sure you've heard of it on YouTube. Um, uncomfortable conversations with a black man. And so I would share that video with my team um, every time a new series come out and share it with them and they would watch it and, and just, just to open the conversation so they wouldn't be uncomfortable with me or uncomfortable with the situation. But um, technology was the best, man. Uh, it, was, it was what saved us, I would say. Excellent. Coach, uh, as an athlete, uh, what would you tell a young uh, kid about following their dreams? You know, I think the biggest thing is to, um, I always say, you know, shoot for the shoot for the moon and, and fall on a star, right? So, you know, it, don't don't settle. I would say, you know, if you have aspirations to play in college, you know, um, I often say, like again, shoot for the moon and fall on a star. I mean, if you if you want to go to play in Maryland, but you come and you end up playing at Salisbury, I, I think it's a good. Good compromise. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, work hard, have fun. Don't let any coach dictate your love and joy for the game. 
um, and uh, put in the time. But you got to have fun doing it. If it's not fun, um, you know, I, I, have a, I have a son and daughter that are both uh, athletic. And, you know, I, I encourage parents not to talk about the games. You know, the conversation you have is, did they have fun? And if they want your opinion, they'll ask, you know. But if the first thing I ask my daughter and my son, did you have fun today? Um, I don't ask about results. I don't I ask. I really about, like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, but, you know, I, I also tell them that what you put in is what you get out. Right. So, you know, I've had incidences where I'm talking to my son where he, um, you know, initially he got put on a B or C squad for soccer. And I was like, well, you, you put in a B and C effort to prepare. And I right. said, you don't, I said, you go to school and get straight A's, but you put in straight A effort. Soccer and lacrosse is no different. Right. So if you don't put in straight A effort, you're going to get BC work, you know, results. But I tell my son and my daughter, like, if, as soon as you stop having fun, it's a, we, we're done. We'll find something else you can do. Um, because I, you know, I always talk about Hondo. You know, you want to get a job where you feel like you've never worked a day in your life. And I've been blessed to have a job where oh, I can do shorts, shorts and a polo every day and work great, with young people. Great thoughts. <laughs> yeah, work with, work with young people. And but I, up and coming is I would say work hard. Um, there's, this, there's an adage where Ant Endurance um, was talking about Mia Hamm. And he said, a mark of a true champion is what he or she is doing when no one's looking. And, um, and you know, you've got to put in the work and you've got to aspire. you got to aspire high. And, if, you know, not everyone's a Division One athlete um, or want that Division One experience, but it doesn't mean you can't get the most. And there's schools like Salisbury and, and, and Tufts and, and Stevenson and Christopher Newport that allow student athletes to get the most out of their academic careers and the most out of the athletic careers. And obviously now being here for the last seven or eight years now, um, I do think Salisbury is the best option. Um, but I think it's because we allow, we give the opportunity for that kid who wanted to play at Penn state, Virginia, Maryland, the same resources here, um, and in some, some might say facility-wise, from a soccer standpoint, even better situation where, you know, I know that most of these places, stadium, most of these big Division One schools at least share their, their field with the men's program. Um, and we have, each of us have our own field, but um, one yeah. There. Yeah. Mark with two champions, what he or she is doing when no one is looking. I think. Well, Kwame, <clears throat> on that note, I think I bring our interview to a close. <laughs> the Hondo Handy Podcast has been brought to you by Inhalm and Drywall and Custom Painting, including residential and commercial power washing, located at 36722 Roxana Road in Somerville, Delaware. Uh, find them at uh, com. <clears throat> My guest today has been Kwame uh, Lord, head coach of the women's soccer team at Salisbury University. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Hondo. It was my pleasure, man. Hey, stay safe and uh, keep smiling. Will do, sir. Right, Have a great day. Bye-bye.